Let's begin the worship of God now by singing from Psalm 146. Psalm 146 in the Scottish Psalter and we'll sing the whole psalm to God's praise. Let's draw near the Lord in prayer. Now let's pray. Lord, we ought to be so encouraged that you are the one who's reigning throughout all generations. Your reign is without end. And it's our wonderful privilege to be able to shelter under your reign, to live under your reign, and to serve under your reign. You are the God, Lord, who sends out the gospel and you are gathering people into your church. You are giving them the gift of saving faith and you're bringing people with humility to bow down and receive the salvation that Christ has come to bring. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would make our time here today precious. We don't want a moment of it to be wasted. We want the psalms that we are singing, the word that we are reading, the prayers that we are praying. We ask, Lord, that the truth that is found in all of these would be brought home to our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit of God himself. Will you be present among us and be present to bless? We come, Lord, with a craving we come with a desire, we come with eagerness. We want, Lord, to be fed. We want our love to increase. We're not content with being cold. We want, Lord, to have that uh, first love that we experienced years and decades ago. We want, Lord, never to forget that. We want, Lord, that in every way possible we would be like lights shining in a dark world and that we would be ready there to stop the moral rot and that you, Lord, would be pleased to use each of us in your own wise way. We know that nothing happens but for a reason and under your reign we know that people are safe. No one who was in Christ who came to him and who wasn't cast out, none of them will be lost. They're safe in your hands. No matter how they think, no matter how weary they may feel, no matter how much they may feel they've let you down, they are safe in the Father's hands, safe in the Son's hands, and we know that the Holy Spirit will indwell them and keep them and protect them forever and ever and ever. 
Lord, we thank you for the, the willingness that you yourself have shown in loving people who are sinners and drawing near to them in your Son. We would pray that throughout the land and world today, wherever the gospel is preached, may it be truly blessed. And as we seek to remember the Lord in his death today, oh Lord, make it precious to us. Oh Lord, we pray that you would deepen our concern for our loved ones who may not yet have tasted just how good the Lord is. Father, we would pray that you would remember any who come with extreme burdens upon their souls, those who feel that uh, fear and loneliness and anxiety, those, Lord, who are burdened over unconverted loved ones. Lord, we pray that in all of this we might find ourselves open to your gaze open to your powerful word and may you speak to us hear our cries Lord oh may a day come when every single child that we have brought into the world that they would be singing your praises and giving honour to you is that your will we do not know but it's certainly the desire of our heart we have no rights before you but, oh, Lord, you have given us desires, and we pray, we pray for mercy in a day of wrath. Lord, we pray for this congregation. We pray for the leaders. We pray for those who are praying people. We ask, Lord, that you would minister to them and that you would build them up. We thank you for the many that come, for the testimony to the power of a past ministry. And we ask, Lord, that there would be much good in the days to come as you continue to build your kingdom here in the Black Isle. Father, we would pray that you would remember the troubled parts of our world. We are very conscious of how much war and bloodshed there is. We are deeply concerned, Lord, when we see so many people suffering and we cannot see and answer ourselves because the, the roots are so steeped in historical hatred and we find it hard to see how things can be resolved. You said that there would be wars and rumours of wars till the end, and there will be. But your word, your gospel will be published. And we ask, Lord, that whether in times of war or in times of peace, we pray that people will be rescued and saved. Keep us now, Lord, and draw near to us, for we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Just a word to the children. Shortly, I'll be reading from Isaiah 52 on to the end of Isaiah 53. And it begins with, Behold, my servant shall act wisely servant if I was going to give the children two words two words one was in Hebrew and the other one was in Greek okay the word in Hebrew would be Shama Shama and that is he hears I hear and the word in Greek is Aku 
which also means I hear. The thing is that in Hebrew, Shema doesn't just mean I hear, it also means I obey. And Aku in Greek doesn't just mean I hear, Hupaku means I obey. And the proof that you're actually hearing is that you obey. There's no point saying to God, well, I hear everything you're saying. What God is saying to you is, are you actually obeying it? be a terrible thing if you were going to appear in the presence of God and he said, did you hear all that I said in the word, in the gospel? And you said, oh yes, I heard it. No, 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 he says, did you hear it? to the point of obeying it. Did you take it seriously? Shama, Aku. See, this is really important. And not just for the young ones, but for the older ones too. For those maybe who haven't yet become Christians. You might hear the gospel, but do you really hear it? You might hear about Jesus coming back to judge you hear it. You could probably recite it to others. But do you respond to that with obedience? Do you bow down and say, I want Jesus as my Lord and as my Saviour? So two words. Shama, he hears. Aku, I hear. One in Hebrew, one in Greek. And they both mean not only to hear, but to obey. And I hope every one of you, just like Jesus, he's a servant who not only heard what God wanted him to do, but went on to do it. And I want every one of you to respond to him and become servants of God whose ears are open and who are ready to say, Speak, Lord. And then, what do you want me to do? Just like Saul. Let's now read the word of God. Isaiah chapter 52 from verse 13 right through to the end of chapter 53. <coughs> Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard, they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, 
a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. <coughs> All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, as an ass for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked, and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, he has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one my servant make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. May the Lord bless to us that reading of his own holy, inspired word. Let's sing further now from Psalm 147, verses 1 to 7, in the Sing Psalms version.
Let's read again verses 4 to 6 of Isaiah 53. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Last night we were looking at Psalm 122 under the, the theme of peace. Christians who knew peace with the joy of salvation the guy who was so glad that he was invited to pilgrimage to Jerusalem and to enter that amazing place see those amazing people and give thanks to the Lord and just become um, totally changed by the experience and we were relating that to very much the Christian life the way in which peace enters our lives because people invited us to come and worship the Lord and we joined them. They knew what they were speaking about. They shared the gospel with us and we came in response to them. We didn't just hear what they said, we obeyed. I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. <laughs> what a privilege to experience peace in the joy of salvation. But that peace comes at a cost. And that's what you see in verse 5 here. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. There are things that happened to Jesus that brought him tremendous suffering but brought us peace that cannot be broken, cannot be taken away by the world because it wasn't the world that gave it to us in the first place. There are things that happened to Jesus that led to peace for us. And I want to look at three of these before we come to the Lord's table from these verses. Three things. First of all, Jesus took all our pain. He took all our pain. Surely, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Secondly, he died for all our sins. We esteemed him stricken smitten by God and afflicted but he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed and then finally he bore the sin of us all all we like sheep have gone astray we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity 
of us all. So whoever this group of people were who were spoken of in Isaiah 52-53 all of them had gone astray and yet the Lord laid on him the iniquity of every single one of them. And when you think of it that's where the peace of the Christian is rooted. He took all our pain. He died for all our sins. And he bore the sin of all of his people. Let's look at these three things briefly this morning then. He took all our pain. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Our griefs, our sorrows. You'll see in verse 3, talking about Jesus, he was despised. He was rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. That's how he was perceived by people. They despised him. They rejected him. And one of the reasons, among others, is that he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Whoever Jesus was, he didn't come into this world as a happy-go-lucky guy. He came into this world to carry grief and to carry sorrows to such a degree that when people looked at him, They knew him to be a man characterized by sorrows and someone who was acquainted with grief. And when these people who are speaking say, surely he's borne our griefs, he's carried our sorrows. They're equating that, they're saying, See the sorrows that Jesus was known for and the grief with which he was acquainted. That's because it was our griefs and it was our sorrows and he bore them. When we're thinking here about griefs and sorrows, we're talking here not just about sin, but about the consequences of sin. See, sin always has consequences. When someone sins... They become guilty before God, and we'll see that in the second point. But when sin comes into the life of an individual, into the life of a world, sorrows and griefs always come. And that culminates, of course, in illness and in death itself. Sickness, illness, death, suffering... All of these come because of sin into the world. And what does Jesus do? What does this servant do in order to give us peace? There are so many people today whom you know so very well, maybe some of them very close to you, and they have their peace, as it were, challenged every day, because of what they're suffering, what they're going through, perhaps because of sin, their own sin, or the sins of others, or the sins of the nations. How many people, 
even people of God perhaps in Gaza or in the Ukraine or in the Yemen or Afghanistan or Nigeria how many people of God there have their peace challenged having to bear griefs and sorrows because of sin coming into the world well Jesus what does he do he chooses to enter into a world not the world before it fell he didn't come into the garden of Eden in order to bear the sin of his people then no no they hadn't fallen to begin with he walked with them in the garden in the cool of the day yes but at that time he wasn't carrying any grief or any sorrow because there was no grief no sorrow to begin with in the garden of Eden but then once sin came the tears came once sin came the thorns came once sin came griefs came sickness came illness came death came in the day you eat of that tree you will die and that has been the history of the people but Jesus when he came into the world it was thousands of years after the fall of man into sin he comes into a world where people cry where people are ill where people are in pain where people sorrow where people are in tears he entered into that world and he didn't want it to be hidden from him in the slightest you know what it's like there are some people who can hide themselves in some penthouse suite away from the suffering and the sorrows and the griefs of the world of course Jesus could have done that he could have come into the world in some kind of magnificent mobile that would keep him away from everybody else high above the world but that doesn't happen no he's actually born into the world into a dirty barn he goes and he walks among people who are unwell he knows what it is to see people sorrowing and suffering in fact he experienced some of that suffering and sorrow and pain himself yes to our knowledge Jesus never had cancer to our knowledge he never had MS or Parkinson's but did he know grief did he know sorrow did he know pain and infirmity did he know what it was to have his flesh torn yes he did he experienced it did he know what it was like to lose a loved one yes he did even the father who adopted him Joseph he knew what it was like to lose that father he knew what it was like to look on his mother from the cross and know that she would shortly be suffering the pain of bereavement he knew what it was like to, to cry outside the tomb of his friend Lazarus along with Mary 
and Martha. See, he chose to come into a world full of infirmity, pain and sorrow. Don't you love the Lord Jesus because of that? That he didn't stay away from all of these things. He came so close, touched people. Had he been here in coronavirus, he would have been right among the people. He would not have been among the untouchables. But he did more than that. He alleviated some of the people who were enduring that sorrow and that pain and that sickness. Jesus would enter into a village and there might be people who couldn't hear, couldn't talk, couldn't walk, couldn't see. And by the time Jesus left the village, they could hear, they could talk, they could walk, they could see. He came and he took away, as it were, their griefs and their sorrows. He could also go to somebody who was going through all the most terrible mental anguish to the point where they would just cast themselves down on the ground and they didn't care about a soft landing. They were indwelt, as it were, by demonic spirits and they would just throw themselves into the fire. Jesus came among these kind of people who had that kind of tormented mind and he removed the sorrow and the grief and the pain not only for the son or the daughter but for the parent as well he's so good at doing this there must have been a whole generation of people in the towns and cities and villages of Galilee and the doctors had nothing to do because Jesus had been to town surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows these miracles of healing why do you think they're included in Matthew Mark, Luke especially and John as well but more than that he actually comes and reverses death in some people the widow of Nain's son Lazarus Jairus's daughter he doesn't stay aloof from these most trying circumstances everybody else is weeping everybody else is in anguish Yes, some of them are paid to do it. Yes, in those days you could pay people to cry. But there were people who were really crying. Loved ones who were crying over their loved ones. Now gone. And Jesus walks into that situation. And he reverses death. He's able to reverse death he knows that in every one of these cases they will have a second funeral 
Jairus' daughter would die again. The widow of Nain's son would die again. Lazarus would die again. Why then did Jesus reverse death for them? It's to show that he genuinely cared. Not only to do miracles of healing, but to reverse death itself. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. But he did more than that as well. Because see when Jesus came to the cross at Calvary. You might say, well what happened to him there? You could say that he just died for our sins. And that's true. But it's not the whole truth. What was Jesus doing at Calvary? Yes, we'll mention in a moment. He died for our sins. But as he was dying for our sins, he was bearing our griefs and carrying our sorrows. Was the cross of Calvary, was the death of Jesus painless? No. It wasn't painless, not in the slightest. It was painful. He took up and carried our sorrows, carried our pain, carried the consequences of our sin, carried a lifetime of these consequences of sins and griefs and pains came to Calvary and see every blow that Jesus received every laceration in his flesh every time the thorn was pushed into him it wasn't just a one-off this is Jesus willingly taking our griefs our pains our sorrows and experiencing that pain without any anaesthetic, human or divine. There was nobody offering him human anaesthetic. The Holy Spirit was not present at the cross to ensure that Jesus would feel no pain. No, he felt pain and felt it as keenly as possible every physical blow he carried our griefs our sorrows and it wasn't just the blows on the outside you read Psalm 22 you read Psalm 22 there about the the enemies around the cross and the effect that they have on Jesus. The bulls of Bashan, the lion, ravenous, open mouths, ready to put all the fear into this suffering man, where Jesus, he was so exposed, not only to physical pain, but to this mental anguish as well he felt 
the pain of that mental torment deep, deep, deep into his own soul. You think of all the torments of sin, the torments that sin brings, culminating even in hell itself, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When Jesus was on the cross, he took all our grief, all of our sorrows, all that our sins would deserve under God's wrath. He took it all. And he took it in intensity in these moments on the cross, these hours on Calvary. More than that, and maybe even frightening, he carried our griefs and our sorrows not away from God but into the presence of God himself he went into the presence of God putting his shoulder under these griefs that's what the verb here signifies he's born our griefs carried our sorrows into the presence of God couldn't be nearer to God than he was then but the God that he was near was the God of wrath and the God who was placing upon Jesus our griefs and our sorrows in all their lifetime of enormity, in all their eternal weight, and his son carried them, he bore them. And it's not just that he bore them, it's not just that he took them, he took them away. He took them away. And that means, you see, that when you and I who are in Christ meet God, when we meet God in all his perfect holiness, we need not fear one second of pain, one second of grief, one second of sorrow for our sin, because he has carried it all. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. This verb is in the active. Jesus chose to do this. He willingly took all of your pain, all of your grief, all of your sorrow. He chose to do it. Now you might say to me, but if that's the case, why am I still sorrowing and grieving and experiencing pain? You are, we are, 
course we are. But you are never, ever experiencing these things without his help. And you're not experiencing these things anymore because you're a sinner whom God has not forgiven. All that you and I endure now as believers, we endure under the hand of a God who loves. God does not look at you sternly, angrily, whatever pain as a Christian you endure, physical, emotional or mental. That's where our peace must begin. The second point, peace, he died for all our sins. Here in verse 4, in the second part, the folks are saying, we esteemed him, we considered him. How did we consider him? Well, he was stricken by God, smitten by God, afflicted by God. That's how we saw him. This is somebody who was experiencing the God himself coming and striking him, smiting him and afflicting him, wounding him, piercing him, crushing him. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. With his wounds we are healed. Why did God deal with Jesus like that? Why did he strike him, smite him, afflict him, pierce him, crush him? These are all things that happened to Jesus. He willingly bore our griefs and our sorrows. That's what he did. But what does God the Father do here? He's the one who strikes him, smites him, afflicts him, pierces him, crushes him, chastises him, and wounds him. Why does he do all of that? Well, the folks here tell us it was for our transgressions. It was for our iniquities. It was for our peace. It was for our healing. See the transgressions that are spoken of there. These are rebel actions. These are rebel actions. This is when God says, I know how you should live. Here's the command. Don't cross it. Don't cross this line. And what does the sinner say to God? He reaches up to the line and then brazenly looks up at God and says, I'm crossing that line because I want to do my own will. And he breaches the line, crosses over it, transgresses the boundary. A lifetime of sin. All of us who are going to be at the Lord's table in a few moments. Isn't that what we've got? A lifetime of transgressions. When we cross the line. And the iniquities. 
The, this is a word here. He is crushed for our iniquities. This is when God sets the standards. God sets the norms. And the sinner says, no, I'm going to shape my life by other standards and by other norms. We crush his standards. We crush his norms underfoot. Everything becomes so ugly. And this word for sin actually is rooted in this idea of ugliness. If transgressions are rebellious, then iniquities are ugly. And discipline... Upon him was the chastisement, the discipline that brought us peace. Why is anybody going to be disciplined? It's because they've been behaving poorly, badly. And what's going to happen to them? They receive discipline, they receive chastisement, so that they be able to learn to live better. Well, aren't we glad for every time the Lord chastised us and disciplined us. But let me ask you a question. Did Jesus ever cross the line? Did he ever transgress? Did Jesus even once break God's norms and commands? Even once. Was there ever a time when God the Father looked at his son and said, you need to learn to do better. You need to learn to listen to the point of obedience. No. He never transgressed. Never a rebel. He never breached God's norms. And his ear was always open to God's will. Jesus himself said, The Father always hears me. Always hears me. And my ear, he says, is always open to his will. I'm ready to listen all the time. Ear was always open. He never needed to be chastised. But this is what the folks are saying. Well, it wasn't for his transgressions. It wasn't for his iniquities. It wasn't because he deserved chastisement. No. It was for our transgressions. Our iniquities. We needed the chastisement. And we needed the wounding. So that we could be healed. Jesus willingly. Died for all our sins. Willingly died for all our sins. There is enough healing. In the death of Jesus. For all that sin has done in your life upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace we are able to be brought back 
to be at peace with God because he stood in our place. He took the punishment for our sins. He bore our guilt into the presence of God. And think of this. This wasn't just Jesus physically suffering. He was pierced, he was crushed, he was wounded, he was chastised. He was smitten, he was stricken, he was afflicted. All of these seemed to be on the outside. But we know that God's wrath came upon him, not only physically, but mentally and emotionally as well. He felt the complete weight of God's wrath for all of our sins, for all of our lifetime. He felt it all. These words that we have here, remember what they say. Who is the author of the sufferings of Christ on the cross? None other than God himself. God himself. And the person who becomes a Christian is the one who says, I believe that. I believe that God did that so that I would never have to die for my sins, my transgressions. There is enough healing, enough healing in the death of Jesus that will bring restoration and peace for a whole eternity. Finally, he bore the sin of us all. Verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Everyone strayed. This is their conclusion here. These are the people who are speaking from the beginning of the chapter. All we like sheep have gone astray. Universal lostness. See, it's so easy to go astray. It's so easy to go your own way. It's your choice, but it can happen so easily. You just refuse to listen to God's law. You refuse to listen to God's will. You refuse to listen to God's voice. No shama, no aku. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. So what happens? Here they say, all we like sheep have gone astray. They just went astray. One following the other, following the other, following the other. All of us so easily went astray. And everyone turned. Everyone, he says, turned to our own way. And it seems so inoffensive. Surely something that can happen so easily cannot be so wrong. 
surely if sheep go astray, it's no real problem. If everyone goes in their own way, it's no real problem. If we, like sheep, go astray from God, it's a massive problem. If we turn everyone to his own way, it's a massive problem. So much so that it leads to the Lord having to take action. He has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The sins of everyone are laid on the one servant, on the one Jesus. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of all of us. I want you to ponder your own sins for a moment. Don't try and shield them from yourself in your mind's eye. The sins of your youth, the sins of your teenage years, the sins of your adult years, the sins of your old age, sins known, sins unknown. Don't hide yourself from any of them and think about what you deserve for all of these sins and I want you to think of this word all think of all your sins together how ugly you and I must feel how dirty how guilty you scarcely think there could ever be a, a day without sin of course there wasn't an hour probably not a minute maybe think of all of your sins just one person you and all of your sins now think of all of God's people. How many are there of God's people? How many have gone astray? How many have turned to their own way? Here in the Black Isle, here in Rosshire, here in Scotland, in the UK, in Europe, in the nations of the world how many are alive today who are God's people they name the name of the Lord they're calling upon him they're turning from iniquity but they've got that lifetime of sin and they'll have it till the day of their death all who are alive today think of all who were alive in the past who are God's people all these generations in the past who used to worship who used to call on the name of the Lord they were guilty think of all their lifetimes of sins and think of all the people who will in the days to come trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation you know there could be many, 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 many more people converted in the future 
that have been converted up till now. A multitude greater than man can number. Now you think of the word all. So all of your sins and all of the sins of all of the people where have they all been placed? The Lord has laid on him on him the iniquity of us all. We read the most probably the most well known gospel verse God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved the world that he gave his Son. What does it mean to give his Son? It means that the Lord would lay upon him all the sins of all his people throughout all their lifetime and laid upon him and I just want to ask you this question in conclusion do you love the Lord who laid all your sins upon Jesus in your place do you love him? Do you love God who laid all your sins on this person, Jesus Christ? That's where your peace belongs, you see. He willingly took your griefs and sorrows. He willingly died for all your sins. And he willingly bore the iniquity of all of his people all together in one moment at the cross. We can't understand the darkness of Calvary till we understand just a little perhaps of the weight of the wrath of God upon even a single sin but all of our sin all of a lifetime for all of God's people and he takes it all that that's love that's where we find our peace May the Lord bless his word. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that you would open our minds, open our hearts to understand. We know we can't grasp it all. We know that. But nor, Lord, do we wish to live life with a veneer of happiness. But ignoring the 
the reality that Jesus died for my sins, that he bore my griefs, bore my sorrows, that the iniquity of us all was laid upon him. Lord, we would pray that you would bring us today to experience afresh the peace of God that passes all understanding. May none of us, Lord, be left without that. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. We come now to the the fencing uh, around the Lord's table. Always when you come to the Lord's table, you will see people taking the bread and the wine and you'll see others who are not taking it. Why should the Lord's people take the bread and the wine? Why should they take the Lord's Supper? Why? Because really they can't do otherwise. They know how much they owe to the Lord who loved them and gave himself for them. Imagine you were to meet Christ in glory. May not be long for some of you. And when you see him, will you love him? If you're a Christian, you will love him. You'll love him better on that day than you've ever loved him till now. And if he looks at you and you look at him, I want you to be able to say to him, I thanked you when I was here on earth. I remembered your death. And do you know why, O Lord Jesus? Because you told me to. You said, do this in remembrance of me. I'm going to do something so huge, so life-changing, so eternity-transforming. I'm going to do something and it must never be forgotten. Do this in remembrance of me. And if he did it for you, if he took your griefs and sorrows, died for your sins, and your iniquity in its allness was laid upon him, if you believe that God gave his son and that you believed, then your place is most definitely at the Lord's table. Satan may say to you, search your heart, see the sins, don't come, don't eat, don't drink. The Lord says to you, yes, do all of that. Search your heart. See your sins. See your disgrace. And then he says, and look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. That's where your peace is to be found. And I want you all who are in Christ Jesus who are in full communion, to come to the Lord's table. And any who haven't yet come forward to the Lord's table, and you are believers in the Lord, however low you feel, 
if you're in full communion then please do come and take your place at the Lord's table as we come down just now we'll be singing Psalm 116 while we do so Psalm 116 verses 1 to 6 the reading in verse 10 yet it was the will of to crush him he has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt he shall see his offspring he shall prolong his days the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied Jesus will see his offspring. He'll see everyone for whom he laid down his life. Every single person. He will see his offspring. He will prolong his days. Death was not the end for Jesus. When he rose from death, he didn't go back to being just the Son of God. 
He continues to be God and man, two distinct natures, one person forever. He remained God and man after the resurrection so that he could see you and you could see him. He is your saviour. And as long as he is God and man, all those who have trusted in him are safe forever. Should he ever cease to be man, we cannot remain saved. But he will never cease to be man. I take up my life again, he says. I have authority to do it. And why does he do it? It's because he knows every single one of his sheep. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Jesus reigns. And God's will is that people like us, poor wretches, are rescued and saved. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he will see, he will be satisfied. A day will come when we will see the satisfied Christ. We see him just now by faith. That's what gives us peace. We know we're ready whenever he calls us. But then we will see him and satisfaction will be written all over his face. He is satisfied. Having done all that he could all that was needed just to rescue poor wretches like us. Oh, what a privilege we have to know that that's what lies before us, seeing the satisfied Christ. Here, we're just going to remember him. But we're going to remember him by faith. And we're going to bow our heads as we take that bread and the wine and we'll remember him. Not just the him who died for us on the cross, bore our griefs and sorrows, but the him who lives for us, who is so satisfied with all that he has planned for us. I want you to do that as you take the bread and the wine. As you know, the Lord's Supper is not the invention of any church. It's come from the Lord Jesus himself. So we read, for example, in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, 
This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. In verse 24, he took the bread, he gave thanks before the cross. Let's give thanks to Oh Lord, how beautiful a saviour you are. There couldn't be a more beautiful deliverer of his people than you. There couldn't be a more willing, a more willing saviour. One who not only heard what the Lord, his father, asked him to do, but one who willingly obeyed and obeyed to that point where he himself would give thanks for his death before it even happened, before he would plunge into the torment of the pain and the grief and the sorrow and the darkness and the weight of sin and the weight of God's anger. Oh Lord, if it brought it him to sweat and to grieve before his death in the Garden of Gethsemane. We know that that was only a small, small prelude to what would come when he would plunge into the darkness. Oh Lord, he gave thanks and we give thanks to you. We give thanks to you, O oh Father, Son and Holy Spirit. We give thanks for the wonderful salvation that was planned by the triune God. And we give thanks for the God who gave and for the Son who came and for the Spirit who made it all so clear to us. Bless us, Lord, as we take the bread and the wine. May it be a stepping stone to deeper worship, greater thankfulness, and more willingness to be your witness in the days to come. We ask it in Jesus. Amen. Well, as we read on the night, the Lord Jesus, he took the bread after he had given thanks, and he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. But as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Probably being up north makes, reminds me of things that happened up north. Westminster of Dingwall Free Church from 1989 to 99. And during that time, our youngest member at the time, 
John Lees, very sadly passed away and uh, left a mark upon my own life and my whole ministry, in fact, John Lees. He was only 23 years of age, died very suddenly. And I remember there was, the church was almost full for his funeral service and people saying, what a waste of a life. Wasn't a waste of a life. He was a Christian. He was somebody who had come to faith by God's grace. And he is now in God's presence. When we were driving through Dingwall last night, past the, I don't know if it's still there, the boating pond in Dingwall, he used to work there. And how Chris and I were remembering that. And I remember when we, looking at the funeral service, talking with his parents about it, and they wanted the closing words of Psalm 72, 17 to 19 to be sung, just as we will in a moment. Joan and Fred said, make sure that you tell them it's not John's name forever shall endure. Last like the sun, it shall. It's the name of the Lord. The name of our Lord, Jesus. So let's stand and close our communion service singing. His name forever shall endure. Last like the sun, it shall. Men shall be blessed in him. And blessed all nations shall him call. Now may the great Lord 
Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit to you all. Amen.